Praise the Lord. God bless all of you. So very good to see each and every one of you here today. Amen. We have some people missing today, some people traveling. Uh, let's be in prayer for them. As they receive journeying mercies, they come back. Amen. Safe and sound. Hopefully refreshed. Amen. But we are here today. We are gathered in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ to receive of Him, to hear from Him. Amen. And we understand that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Where God is, anything can happen. Amen. I believe that with all my heart. He's sovereign. He's all-powerful. He can do whatever He wants, whenever He wants. Praise God. I've seen it too many times in other people's lives, in my own life. Praise God. I'm excited that I'm in the presence of the Lord today. Thank you, Jesus. Let's all stand. Let's call out on Him. Let's worship Him. Let's praise Him. Because He is great, and He is greatly to be praised. Let's worship Him today for what we are about to receive from Him. And simply because of who He is. He's the Lord God Almighty. Amen. Worthy of worship and praise. Lord Jesus, we worship You today. We give glory and honor unto the Most High God. Thank you, Jesus, for your manifest presence here this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for your excellent loving kindness, that you woke us up this morning, that you put breath in our bodies and strength in our limbs. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. We give glory and honor unto the Lord our God today for everything that we've received. We worship you, Lord Jesus, because you are high and lifted up. We give praise and honor unto the Lord Jesus Christ because you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you are altogether worthy to receive my worship and to receive my praise today. You have wrought wondrously in my life, gloriously in my midst. Hallelujah, Jesus. You called me when I was a long ways off. You picked me up and put me on my high place. You called me your son. You gave me the earnest of my inheritance, the gift of the Holy Ghost. You spilt your blood in my place that I might have forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you loved me enough to die for me, that you loved me enough to take my place in judgment. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. I'll never forget what you did for me. I'll never forget, thou most high God, the love that you had for me, that you have for me each and every day. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. I worship you today. I praise you today. I will give myself in service to you today. Hallelujah, Jesus. Work wondrously in our midst here. Meet each and every need. Speak to your people today. Speak to those within the sound of my voice wondrously and gloriously. Encourage them, Lord Jesus, and the Lord their God. Undergird them with strength today. Bless them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Move them forward in you, in your plan and in your service. In all these things we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Praise God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are glorious in this place. You are wondrous in every place. Hallelujah, Jesus. We, we magnify the name of Jesus in this house. We give glory and honor unto the name of Jesus Christ here today. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are wondrous. You are glorious. You are so beautiful. You are so wonderful. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. What an awesome thing it is to be gathered together in the presence of Jesus Christ. What an awesome thing that is. 
Amen. Some of us have, have grown up in this. Some of us have not. Those of us that have not, we probably remember a time where we had never experienced the presence of God. I know I do. And I wouldn't recommend it. I would, I would recommend grow up in church. Uh, that's what I would recommend. But I didn't have that opportunity. So because of, because of that experience, I so very much appreciate the presence of God. I so very much appreciate everything that God did for me. Amen. Because it was a time where I didn't walk with God and that I didn't know him and that I, I couldn't feel after him. I couldn't hear his voice. Amen. But I am a new creature. We are new creatures in Christ. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. I'm just so thrilled today that the Lord is here and that he loves us and that he wants the very best for us. Amen. Reviewing from last week, we talked about walking on the water. God is sovereign and God is omniscient. He can and does answer each need on an individual basis. Amen. He might answer your need differently than my need. Your gift might be different than mine. And that's a source of contention from time to time, even amongst the, the most holy of us. Amen. There's every once in a while, man, I wish I could sing like that guy sings. That would be amazing. Man, I wish I could preach like that preacher preaches. But the gifts that he has given us are tailor-made for us. They're hand-picked by God himself. And they're formed and they're made perfect and given to us with love and with, with an earnestness. God does that for us. The gifts that we have, the answers that we receive of him, they're tailor-made for us, for our specific circumstances, who we are. Amen. We rarely get advance notice of the storms that are coming, but God is never surprised by them. And he has the answer to every storm for us if we'll keep trusting in him. I know a lot of times, maybe many times, it seems like there is no answer. There can't possibly be a way out of this. But God is infinite. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He has all authority. He can do whatever he wants to do. He can bust a hole in the wall and, and make a way of escape that way. He can do what he wants. He can answer how he wants. And if we'll trust in him, he'll do exactly that. There's provision on the calm, still mountaintop, but revelation of who Jesus is awaits us in the storm. Amen. And there are times, certainly, where we need provision. We need an answer from the Lord, and he's very happy and gracious to provide those things for us. Amen. And I am so thankful for that. When I do have a need, he's there to meet it. Praise God. But that's not why I serve God. I don't receive it. I don't, I don't serve Jesus for the loaves and fishes, as it were. I serve him because of who he is, because of the revelation I've received of who Jesus Christ is. That's what we need. We need to know who he is. And those things are only spoken in the storm. Jesus makes us to walk in victory on those things that once caused us to fear, that once threatened to destroy us. He causes us causes us to walk in victory on top of those things. 
Amen. As Peter walked upon the water that threatened to destroy them. So he causes us to walk on those things that threaten to destroy us, giving us victory over them, authority over them. Praise God. Daily devotions. At the end of the day, it's always best if we just allow Jesus to choose how he'll handle our storms. Sometimes he may still the storm. Other times he may simply lead us through the storm. No matter what, though, we're always safe as long as he's with us in the storm. Amen. And that's the key. Is Jesus with us? Are we with him or no? If we're with God, then nothing can touch us. Nothing can harm us. Day one. I'm just going to read this verbatim because I thought it was pretty cool. In the winter of AD 203, outside Carthage in North Africa, Roman soldiers arrested a group of new Christian believers for gathering for worship, which was considered a crime. Among them was 22-year-old Vibia Perpetua, I think. She kept a journal recounting the pressure to renounce Christ and the overwhelming darkness of the prisons. Feeling the darkness more terrifying than being fed to animals because darkness disorients. By focusing on what she believed in, Perpetua found her bearings in the darkness and her faith grew to the point she met her martyrdom cheerfully in a gladiatorial ring. Amen. Isn't it amazing that God can give that kind of peace to someone? That is a supernatural peace, folks, that no one can take away. The world doesn't give it. The world can't take it away. Amen. Darkness can disorient, but in those times we must fix our attention on Jesus, who can and will lead us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Amen. Day two. Although hurricanes result in a tremendous loss of life and property, they are a necessary part of Earth's ecosystem. I didn't realize this. Without them, both the Arctic and Antarctic regions would be too cold. The equator would be too hot. Barrier islands would diminish. Bacteria would overgrow and inland droughts would last longer. Interesting. In other words, it's easy to focus on the negative aspects of storms in our lives, but there are also many benefits that we receive from them. Spiritual maturity and strength. Revelation. Relationship. And many other things. Specific things that we have need of. Day three. Typically when we encounter the unknown in our lives, we respond in fear, not in faith. As Christians, we're encountering the unknown on a regular basis because we're learning and we're growing. We're becoming more like Jesus. He is continually, as we grow, leading us into deeper and deeper waters, higher and higher places in the Spirit. That should be every Christian's desire. As you get to know the Lord God, your desire to know Him more should increase and increase and increase. As the saying goes, to know him is to love him. And that is certainly true with God. Our response should always be with faith, knowing that Jesus loves us and will protect us on our journey. Wherever it is that the Lord leads us, if we are led of God, if we have that assurance that Jesus is leading us and he's guiding us, then wherever it is he does lead us, we're cool with that. That's okay. This is where God wants me right now. Day four, we have nothing to fear from anything God created. Matthew ten twenty eight, and fear not them which kill the body and are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. 
Yeah, but what about that uh, person in AD 203 you just talked about? God didn't protect her. That's a serious question, folks. That's a serious response. Does God protect us? Yes, he does protect us. But see, the problem that people encounter in this particular situation is that we don't have our eye on eternity. There are a lot of things that don't make sense without eternity. Justice. There are some people that don't receive justice. They go to their graves having never received justice. What about people that are imprisoned, but they're actually innocent? Some of those never come out. We hear about the ones that do, and thank God for that. But many do not. They serve the whole service, and then they come out. A convicted felon. But they were innocent. Where's their justice? In this life, they're not going to get it. But in the next, folks, in the next, God makes everything right. He balances every scale. He closes every book. He balances it out. There's justice in the next. Protection. God does. I'm going to die someday, folks, should the Lord tarry. We all are. We know that. It's grim to talk about, but it's the facts. Someday, should the Lord tarry, someone's going to plant me. That's, yeah. But I'm going home, folks. I'm going home. And if I live a long, full life to 150, my body's going to be ready to retire. If I make it to 150, folks, it's, it's going to be ready to sleep. More than ready. It's time. It's time for me to go home at that point. I got to go home at some point. How that happens is up to God. I could I could get hit by a truck on the way home today. I could live to 150. I mean, I don't know. Nobody knows. But I got to go at some point. How I go is up to God. Where the protection comes in, folks, is when I go, where am I going? Am I going to go home to God? Or am I going to go to an eternal place of torment and judgment? I want my soul protected. I want my salvation protected, first and foremost. What happens to my body happens. I wouldn't look forward to it. I don't like pain any more than anyone else does. But I've got to be saved. And that's his first and primary Words are hard. Desire. On a stormy night, a businessman was sitting between a middle-aged woman and a little girl on a flight. About an hour into the flight, the plane experienced extreme turbulence. The pilot spoke over the PA system and told the passengers to fasten their seatbelts. For the next half hour, the plane shook and made dips and turns. Some passengers cried, others prayed, but not the little girl. When the turbulence ended, the businessman said to the little girl, You're the bravest person I've met. How did you remain so calm? The little girl looked him in the eye and said, My father is the pilot. 
and he's taking me home. Amen. Our Father is the pilot, folks, and he's taking us home. I love that. Day five. The origin of the hymn, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus, is detailed in this uh, devotional. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Wouldn't that be nice if we were always in that state, that we would always just take Jesus at his word? We'd rest upon his promise. Amen. That's peace, folks. That's peace that passes all understanding. Is to trust in Jesus. Amen. Our lesson today, will, our scripture text is found in the book of John, again, chapter 6. We'll read verses 66 through 68. Today we're going to be speaking on the bread of life. The bread of life. Starting with verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Amen. It was a banner day for Jesus and his dream team dozen disciples. The day before, Jesus had multiplied a poor boy's sack lunch to feed a city. Then he walked on water in the middle of a hurricane and calmed the storm and his followers' fears. Jesus is greater than physics, and he's greater than nature. Only one can check those two boxes on his resume, God himself. Although Jesus was clearly a man, he was clearly not just a man. On this day, the citizens of the city wanted a word with Jesus. What would he do? What would he say? Perhaps a few people brought jars of water in case he worked the water to wine wonder again. But when they went to where he was, he was no longer there. That's strange. They saw his disciples board the boat, but he wasn't with them. And they didn't see him walk all the way to Capernaum. How would he have gotten there? Maybe a few people joked, perhaps he walked on the water. <laughs> they laughed at the absurd thought that a man could walk on water. They jumped into a ship and set sail for the other side of the sea. Perhaps they could ask the fine folks in Capernaum if they had heard or seen the miracle worker from Galilee. After a quick search, they found Jesus. They asked him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? John 6:25. Jesus didn't even hesitate or look at the sundial. He answered a question they were not asking but should have been. He answered why they came all this way just to see him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. John 6:26. Some of the church growth experts in the crowd cringed. Jesus, that's not how we win friends. Be nice. But Jesus cut to the quick and let them know he was running more than just a free gut truck. He admonished them. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. John 6:27. So, they found Jesus... And I imagine they were probably expecting and hoping for more of the same. This is great. This is awesome. This is, this is like Barnum and Bailey on steroids. 
What are we going to see next? What wonder are we going to experience this time? But Jesus was trying to lift up their eyes and appetites above just thinking about dinner and reminding them life is really preparation for eternity. All of life is just a preparation for our next life. That's what this is, folks. They talked about manna falling from heaven, feeding their forefathers every day. Jesus, again, trying to get them to understand that he's not talking about a what. He's talking about a who. John 6.33, Jesus says, For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Their eyes lit up. Giveth life. God has it. We want it. Then they said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Jesus answered in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Now there was a different response from the crowd. No witty retorts. No sarcastic comebacks, just silence as they absorbed what Jesus was saying. Just silence. The silence didn't last too long. People started murmuring. They started whispering one to another. Yeah, but isn't this Jesus? Isn't this Joseph's boy? Isn't he the carpenter from Nazareth? He didn't come from heaven. He's from Nazareth. I've often wondered, why couldn't the people see who Jesus really was? It's obvious to us. Okay. I don't know if it's a fair comparison. We know. I mean, we see the whole story all at once. We get it. But for them, it was a little different. But this is the way Jesus chose to reveal himself to his people. I can't imagine that Jesus was trying to hide the fact that he was the Messiah, that he was God manifest in the flesh. And yet he used all of these cryptic sayings, all of this, these parables. And John 12, 37 through 40, maybe gives us an answer. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. That the saying of Esaias the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Esaias said again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted. And I should heal them. So many people that we love and that we work with and that we meet every day are in exactly this situation. Their hearts are blinded. They have a veil on the, on the 
on their hearts, their minds, that they cannot see the truth. What a horrible place to be. But they're blind to truth. In understanding that, imagine, for example, the guy that comes to fix your, fix your leaky roof. He pulls up, walks up to you and says, hey man, I'm the son of God. His name is Joshua. He wears overalls, has a Packers bumper sticker on his work van. That was listed specifically in the in the manual, so I thought I'd include that. <laughs> Bob, sorry, man. We understand that our roofer friend is not the son of God. But Jesus was. And he is. And yet they kind of received him the same way. You're not the son of God. You're Joseph's boy. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel had their food supplied every day by God. He made water spring up from the ground to slack their thirst. Today, Jesus is the bread of life and the water springing up into everlasting life. Again, everything in the Old Testament is a type and a shadow of spiritual realities in the new. I tell you what, when I first discovered that, when I found that out, someone told me that, man, that blew my mind. I just, I couldn't believe that. That was so incredible to me. So all of this stuff means something today. It's like a representation, a physical representation of spiritual things. So man, I was all in. I had to find those things out. I just, it still blows my mind that God did that. In the Old Testament, God used Moses to lead an exodus out of Egypt into the Promised Land. But Jesus was telling them in very certain terms that he was leading a new exodus in their day. This exodus, though, wasn't to free them from the Romans. It wasn't to set them free from some national superpower, but from a foe that had enslaved the whole of humanity since long before Moses. The ruthless, relentless reign of sin. That's what they were going to be set free from. Kingdoms have risen and fallen, come and gone, but sin has remained the constant, depraved despot behind them all. All that was about to change. But the people couldn't see it. They couldn't see who Jesus was. They didn't get it. Having eyes they saw not. Having ears they heard not. They didn't have a heart to understand. Another aspect of this, of course, is that they already knew who the Messiah was. They already knew that. They didn't need some carpenter's son come to tell them. They already knew who the Messiah was going to be. And Jesus, you ain't it. 
Sorry, Slam. But uh, pack it somewhere else. When we already understand truth, when we know, we approach the Word of God and we already know what truth is. That's a dangerous spot to be in, folks. Again, we need to let God tell us what truth is. I always try to approach Scripture with the idea that I think this is right. Can you confirm that? Can you let me know for sure? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And understanding who Jesus is, folks, is important. It's vital. It's necessary. We need to know who Jesus Christ is. More than, more than we need to receive from Him. We need to know who He is. These Jews had been receiving from Him for days. But they still had no idea who He was. The Jews in Jesus' day got it wrong. With exceptions, of course. How about us, though? We're not responsible for their choices, but we are responsible for ours. And Jesus is still the bread of life. Most of us have heard some variation on this uh, phrase, but... uh, I'll read this. One wise woman shared a story with someone she was discipling. She said, it feels like two bulldogs are in me fighting all the time. One of them wants what I want, and the other one wants what God wants, and they constantly fight. Her friend asked her, which one wins? The wise woman replied, the one I feed the most. Again, most of us have heard that, but it bears, uh, strip your pure minds by way of remembrance. Amen. Every day we choose to feed one or the other. What we want or what God wants. And sometimes that choice is real easy, and sometimes that choice is real hard. Either way, God wants to help us make the right choice every day. We've got to feed our spiritual nature. We've got to make choices and decisions that move us closer to God, cause us to become more like God each and every day. This isn't This isn't a one-time snap-your-fingers process in your Christ-like. It's a daily walk. It's a lifetime of serving Jesus Christ, learning, growing, making mistakes, learning from them, getting back up, and keep moving forward. As the boxer would say, all i got to do is get up one more time, then I fell down. A lot of truth in that. He that endures to the end shall be saved. But it's a process, a lifetime process. It's not a one-time thing. Daily, daily, daily decisions, daily choices, daily disciplines. Every day, every week, every month, every year, until Jesus comes and gets me. But the choices I make today, folks... They're not going to affect, to a great extent, anything in my life today. 
but they are going to affect powerfully my future. I'm making choices today based on who I want to be in the future. Who do you want to be in the future? I want to be more like God. I want to be Christ-like. I want to have this conquered. I want to, I want to be doing that. Okay. So start making choices based on that. When we make choices that don't get us there, that's not really what we want. Or we want something more than that. Immediate comfort. Immediate pleasure. The word discipline is a hard word. There's no... Well, there's love in it, but tough love. A mama's love. Discipline means I don't get to do what everyone else is doing. Discipline means that I have to sacrifice some things in the here and now so that I can obtain things in the future. Delayed gratification. That's what discipline is. But when I have no discipline, folks, and I just let the river carry me wherever it's going, along with everyone else, and that's easy. That doesn't take any work at all. But where is that going? Where am I headed in that case? Nobody wants to end up there. But relatively few people are willing to make the choices today to keep them away from that. As biblical Christians, we have to be willing to discipline ourselves each and every day. Again, sometimes it's real easy. The presence of God is powerful. You're just kind of in the mood to pray. This is going to be good. And it is. Other days, you're tired. you got two hours of sleep. you got a full day of work ahead of you. I gotta pray. This is my time to pray. Discipline myself to pray. If all I do is get up there and say thank you, Jesus, do something. Make the effort. As you make the effort, my pastor would always say, going through the motions brings on the emotions. I think there's some truth in that. Just do what you're supposed to do, and eventually you'll start to feel like doing what you're supposed to do. God wants to help us make the right choice every day. Well, what Jesus said here was a little bit more than the crowd could handle. This was just too much. Jesus claims to be the bread of life come down from heaven. He claimed to be able to raise people from the dead. How could this man, Joseph's boy, claim to be God? That was outright blasphemy. Either God would strike him dead or maybe we're going to have to. But that's blasphemy. Well, Jesus had just gotten started. He wasn't done yet. He kept going. Verse 53, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. 
He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. Well, you know what that sounds like, right? First of all, let's get the obvious out of the way. Leviticus 17.14 says this, For it is the life of all flesh, the blood of it is for the life thereof. Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall eat the blood of no manner of flesh, for the life of all flesh is the blood thereof. Whosoever eateth it shall be cut off. Blood was forbidden. Now Jesus, the so-called Messiah, is coming to tell us, you got to drink my blood. What? And is Jesus promoting cannibalism? i got to eat his flesh? Jesus was comparing natural food to spiritual food, and his words were not hard to hear if the people would have been actually listening to what he was saying. Warren Wiersbe, in his book, Be Alive, John 1 through 12, writes this, and I quote, All Jesus said was, Just as you take food and drink within your body and it becomes part of you, so you must receive me within your innermost being so I can give you life. Unquote. Our bodies need to eat, so do our souls. That's all Jesus was saying. He wasn't saying, drink the blood and eat my body till it's all gone. The same language is used in 2 Samuel 23, 17, which says this. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things did these three mighty men when they went to Jerusalem to pull the water up for, for David. The water was obviously not the blood of these men, but the dangerous journey to bring it back to him could have cost them their life's blood. Similarly, following Jesus eventually will lead every follower to the foot of the center cross on Calvary, where we must allow his broken body and shed blood to atone for our sins. That's what's being said here. And the people in the crowd should have understood that in their culture. They should have understood what Jesus was saying, but they weren't listening. They weren't listening to what he was saying. Well, because that's what they did here, this was, this was the, the final straw. They'd stomped all over their last nerve. Jesus wasn't passing out free food anymore. Not one healing going on here. Instead, he starts teaching things that go against the grain. Things we disagree with. Hard sayings. And so, family by family, follower by follower, they shook their heads, packed up their things, and headed for home. Disappointed and disillusioned with Jesus. <laughs> He's no Messiah. Drink his blood? Not on your life. We're out of here. And like the rich young ruler, Jesus didn't chase after them. He allowed them to walk away. They made a choice, and Jesus honored it. Amen. Free moral agency, folks. He told them the truth, everything they needed to know. And based on that information, they decided to walk. 
and Jesus let them. He honored their choice, just like he honors ours. The consequences, though, were also theirs. And they're also ours. After the dust settled, Jesus looked around and saw that the twelve were still hanging around. I don't know, based on the passage of Scripture, that they understood any more than the crowd did. But they were still there. They didn't go anywhere. John 6.67, Then Jesus said unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Now can you imagine pastors going through a church split? The pastor goes to those that are still remaining. Are you guys going to leave too? That's not the best church growth strategy. This is the time for damage control. This is the time to stop the bleeding. Jesus, don't you know that? Jesus was concerned about something else altogether. He's concerned, more concerned with people following him for who he is rather than for what he's capable of doing. This kind of gets back to being versus doing. Jesus wants us to follow him because of who he is. Because he's God. Because he's our Savior. He's our Redeemer. Not because he can do nice things for us. He does, and he wants to do nice things for us, and we're thankful for that. But again, it's not why we serve him. That's not why we follow after him. The loaves and the fishes don't save us, folks. The healings don't save us. They keep us here a while longer. They're necessary provisions that we need to accomplish his work. But at the end of the day, salvation is what's important. Jesus came to heal sickness, but his mission was and is to seek and to save that which was lost, to save us from our sins. And sin is not forgiven through soft speeches and great music. Sin is forgiven through the shed blood and broken body of Jesus Christ. Salvation ain't pretty, folks. You can't put a nice bow and perfume on it. It's blood. It's death. That's salvation. It's ugly. It's hard. And the cost is total. It costs everything. That's salvation. That's what it costs for you and me to be saved. That's what Jesus is focused on. That's what he's concerned with, is our salvation. All the other stuff, I love the other stuff. I'm thankful for all the other stuff. The provision, the the healings, the miracles, all of that. We need it. We want it. We desire it. We're thankful for it. But if he takes all that away, folks, and all we have left is our salvation, that's enough. That's everything that we need is our salvation. May we all have the same faith-filled resolve as the 12 in John 6. 
Although the word of God will offend our sin and our flesh, we're not going anywhere. When the word of God teaches us something that we disagree with, don't leave. Resolve it. 99 times out of 100, we disagree with the word of God because we're disobeying the word of God. That's almost always the reason. Every, time, every single time that I can remember that I've disagreed with the word of God, it's because I wasn't doing it. Just do it. Just start doing it. Oh, now I understand. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That's right. The Word of God is going to offend us from time to time. Because we're not perfect yet. We haven't arrived yet. We're still doing some things wrong. I am. And I need the Word of God to come tell me. So I can fix it. So through the power of God, the name of Jesus, we can make it right. We all want that. Although Jesus has called us to the same selfless life of following him as he called his followers in John 6, we will not turn around and walk away. Folks, when we first come to God, when I, I'll just, I don't know what God did for you when you first came to God, but I know what he did when I first came to God. It was amazing. It was wonderful. I felt the presence of God powerfully. Every time I was thinking about praying, here he comes. It was so awesome. I'd open the word of God and he just spew stuff out at me. It was amazing. But then it kind of dwindled off eventually. And it wasn't like that anymore. I would get that from time to time. And I, I've told you this before. I started, Did I offend him? Did I do something wrong? What's going on here? I go to the prayer room and everyone else is feeling, God, I, there's nothing here. What's going on? It's not always like that. I don't always feel the presence of God. Is that why I'm serving Him? For the goosebumps? The feelings? I had to, I had to decide. I came face to face with that. Is that why you're serving me? serving you because you died for me. During that whole time, it was several months, I hadn't spoken in tongues once. I was just completely cut off. I kept coming. I was I stayed faithful. I kept trying to pray, read my Bible, but nothing, 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 nothing. Finally, I felt like God asked me that. I had a bunch of friends in church. Is that why you're going to church? To meet your friends? Or to spend time with me? To worship me? Yeah, you're right. I am coming because of my friends. I need to come because of you. I'm glad to see my friends. But if they're not there, I still need to come. My friends stop coming. What am I going to do then? I still need to serve Jesus. So he confronted me with these things. i got to serve him because of who he is. I got to do these things for his sake. Not for anything else. Not for the loaves and fishes. Not for the Pentecostal goosebumps. Not because my friends are coming to church. 
but because he's here, because that's what he desires. He calls us to a life of sacrifice. He calls us to a life of discipline. We've got to make choices based on where we want to go. We've got to make choices based on who we identify with. I am a Christian. I am a son of the Most High God. I'm filled with His power. I'm filled with I've, I've been given a measure of His authority. That's who I am. That's who I identify as. And that's who I need to be. That's who I need to be, folks. And I need to make choices every day that gets me to that place, that moves me toward that place. Amen. Nothing He will say to us or anyone else will say about us will cause us to turn and walk away from Jesus. Amen. Is it Jesus' fault that someone's talking behind my back? Well, if that's the way his church is, I'm, I'm out of here. People do that. I'll say that I am completely ignorant as to why that would be. I, and, I, and I mean that. I'm not trying to be stupid or anything. I am truly ignorant. I don't understand that thought process. I'm leaving because of something someone said. People have said stuff about me my entire life. Probably you guys too. I mean, it. people do dumb things. And I'm a people. I do dumb things. <clears throat> but that's not God's fault. God didn't tell him to talk about me behind my back. God didn't tell people to spread nasty rumors about me. They did that on their own. They made that choice. I'm not going to walk away from God because of that. I may talk to the individual about it. Nothing wrong with that. What did people say about Jesus? They said all kinds of stuff about Jesus. Untrue stuff. Bold-faced lies about him. The very people that were accusing him, the very people that condemned him, are the same people that he hung across and died for. And if I, if I am to be Christ-like, if I am to be like Jesus, I have got to be willing and able to do the same thing. Not only am I not going to walk away, but I'm going to try to minister to those people. I'm going to try to befriend them. I was telling my wife, um, there was someone at work, the, the person that got let go uh, at work last week. Um, when I first started, I didn't like her very much. I know she didn't like me. Uh... And that was the way it was for a while. I did not want to work on a line where she was at. I think she felt the same way. But then I started praying about it. And I, I purposed in my heart, God, help me, help me to build a relationship here. Help me to, to mend this. And he did. He did. I think we were, I wouldn't say we were best friends or anything, but we were amiable. We had mutual respect for each other. Uh... And it, 
I was genuinely sad to hear that she'd been let go. But all that to say that God will help us. That's not natural, folks. That's not a natural reaction. It wasn't for me anyway. I had to make some conscious choices. I had to discipline myself. Who do I want to be? Who am I reflecting? Who am I supposed to be representing here? And move forward in that. The decisions that we make need to move us forward in that. On one eternity-changing day, Jesus turned to us and called us to follow. This day and all my days, we will follow and never turn from Him. Amen. He called each of us, folks, like He called the twelve. Follow me. Follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. Take my yoke upon you, for it's easy. My burden's light. He called each of us to follow Him. To follow Him wherever He leads. We don't choose where it is that He's leading us. He's he's the one that's leading. He's the one out front. We're following Him. We don't get to choose where we're going. The children of Israel didn't get to choose where they went in the wilderness. They were going all over the place. Didn't seem like there was any rhyme or reason to it. That's what God said, so that's what we're doing. We follow Him onto the mountaintop and great experiences in Him and into the valley, into the storm, into the trial, and through. We follow Jesus. Amen. In conclusion, N.T. Wright tells the story of a historian who was setting out to earn his Ph.D. The moment he finished his research, wrote his 200-plus page paper, and defended his dissertation would be a signal moment in his life imagine but before he could celebrate he still had a fair amount of work to do part of that work was research on the painting that was so prominent during the historical period he was studying he grabbed his notepad and trusty pen and headed for the galleries while art aficionados and curious tourists oohed and odd at the masterpieces the historian was scribbling down cold hard facts about each painting he needed to know who painted it when where the artist lived who the artist's friends were who the friends friends were and who influenced the artist's painting style. By the time he was finished with his research, he would know all the facts about each individual painting and the painter who painted it. He finished his Ph.D. and rightfully earned the title of doctor, but he never stood back to take time to appreciate the masterful paintings themselves. All the facts etched into the plaques beneath the works were only there to shed a little light on the paintings, not to steal the light altogether. After Jesus multiplied the sack lunch and fed the city, he hoped the people would see him not just a free meal. After all, he had so much more to offer than just a fish fillet. He was only a matter of months away from laying down his life for them and purchasing their salvation at the price of his own shed blood. Let us not allow the miracles and wonders to cause us to look only at the miracles and wonders. Let's look in full wonder to the one who works the wonders and call him what Isaiah called him when he spoke of him in Isaiah 9-6. The one who fed the city and walked on the waves really is wonderful. Let's all stand. Lord Jesus, we worship you today. We are so thankful for all that you've done for us. We are thankful, Lord, for who you are, that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords.
that you are the God who spoke all things into existence, including us. You formed us from the dust of the earth. You breathed into our nostrils the breath of life, and we became a living soul. You suffered on a cross and died for us when we erred and, and, and strayed from your plan. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you would keep us, that you would continue to lead us and guide us as we make decisions that move us closer to you. Help us to discipline our lives. Help us to discipline our time and our choices toward that end, to give glory and honor to the Lord our God and to properly and effectually represent you to this world. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Uh, We'll take a break here. We'll be back at a quarter till for worship service.